0: Hi, I'm Michaela Loach. And I'm Rebecca. And this is the Yikes Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Yikes Podcast, the podcast about all the things that make us go yikes, um, which is something I actually say all the time. And people keep thinking that I'm saying it just to promote this podcast. I think I'm you like, are. no, it's just. <laughs>
1: I just say it it's Something I no, say. no it's a great word um, you taught it actually like i learned it from you it's a great word
0: oh really what an honor what an honor <laughs> to have bestowed upon you um <laughs> yikes but basically the things that make us yikes are things like social injustice that exists in the world climate injustice climate crisis all these terrible terrible things that can make us feel really overwhelmed and want to just yikes and run away but instead we say you know you've got to lean into the yikes to lean into the thing that can maybe overwhelm you and instead transform that emotion into action together and today we have an absolutely brilliant guest who we've wanted to have on the podcast for a while we have the brilliant vanessa nakate
2: we
1: are super excited because well we're just really really freaking inspired by her work um we've been following Mm -hmm. her work for ages and um if you don't know what are you doing but she is going to introduce herself a little bit but just shortly before we get into it um she's a climate activist from uganda she just published a book called a bigger picture and yeah we're gonna to chat to her about kind of like this her journey into climate activism and uh what she as a ugandan climate activist like expects also from climate activists from us uh european based or u.s based kind of like yeah from the quote-unquote like western world and so yeah it was super super insightful she's so lovely um please follow her work she has like so much to teach and um, yeah enjoy this episode with her
0: Nessa, we are so excited to have you on the podcast thank you so much for being here and um, soon hopefully we'll get to meet in person as well that'd be so great <laughs> um, but maybe if we could just start out by you like introducing yourself to everyone and maybe saying like what your work is and how you got into it.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Hi, my name is Vanessa Nakate. I am a climate justice activist from Uganda. I started striking for the climate in 2019. And now I am an author of A Bigger Picture. Ooh.
1: Ooh, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Huge congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> thank no, it's you.
0: Incredible, I think um, something that would be interesting to know is like why did you decide to write a book like what what made you want to write a book I know you talk about this in the book but for people who haven't read it like what what was what was the thought process around deciding to go from doing striking and then writing a book
2: actually the initial thoughts about writing a book uh, it wasn't me I didn't have it as an initial <laughs> idea and I wouldn't imagine what exactly I would write about. So I just received a message from Johanna. Uh, Johanna works with uh, the publishers that are publishing my book in Germany, and she asked me if I could be interested in writing a book because she thought that um, I really had a story to tell and it would be powerful to put it in a book. So I was very surprised to think that someone thought I could write a book and yet I <laughs> didn't think about it myself and at that point I just really started thinking uh, about what I would write and you know trying to imagine the number of words. That are needed for a book and <laughs> and thinking about how I was going to make those words, so that was like the the very initial you know thought or where the idea of writing the book came from and After that message from Johanna, I just started really thinking about the things I would write about
1: that's amazing, and also yeah lovely that you know someone saw I don't know someone just reached out and was like you know I can see this and we should and I believe in you it. and yeah yeah, yeah and believe wonderful. in your work you know and mm. and everything that's yeah that's really incredible and um your book is being published this week as yeah. we are recording at the end of October and I know you've been like super busy um I don't know how long you've been in Europe for, but I know you've visited quite a lot of places and been talking to lots of people about your book. How's that for you, like, you know, speaking to so many different people about your book and your story and, you know, your visions as well? Yeah, how's that journey been for you?
2: Yeah. The past weeks have been really very busy with uh, so many interviews about the book, but also really overwhelming because everything just feels so new. And mm. you know, there are times when I am introducing myself and then Jess is like, you can also add that you're an author. So I, I forget that <laughs> I actually wrote a book and it's just, everything is just wow. so new and also overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But it has also been an, you know, exciting and interesting process of talking about uh, some of the things that I write about in the book and also just talking about my story and how I started activism. Yeah.
0: So could you maybe, like, dive into a bit of that? So for the people who might not know about your work, I mean, what are you doing, guys? What are you doing? Where are you? But, yeah, like, maybe just introduce how you started getting into climate work and and why?
2: Yeah, uh, my very first climate strike was in the first week of January 2019 and it was after realizing how much the climate crisis was impacting the lives of the people in my country Uganda and this was after me doing quite a number of research about the challenges that the people in my community were facing and it's not that these things were really new to me. These are things that I had seen, uh, being talked about on the news, but I couldn't make the connection to the climate crisis. So what I was finding out really helped me understand that the floods that I'd seen or the landslides were actually because of the uh, rising mm-hmm. global temperatures. So at that point, I was really, you know, uh, really triggered I would say to start striking for the climate but the inspiration for you know creating awareness or demanding for climate justice through the climate strikes was after seeing Greta uh, do the strikes in Sweden yeah
1: Mm -hmm. yeah when I when I was reading the the first chapter of your book and you kind of like you know tell about like how you actually didn't have a, a background at all in, you know, climate change and like mm. your kind of, how you like were really teaching yourself about all of this. And you mentioned your uncle, um, being quite an impactful person on you, like, uh, teaching you and also your family in general, like them, you kind of dragging them to your first strike and everything. <laughs> yeah. Could you maybe expand a little bit on like, you know how your friends or your family you know kind of uh, had an impact maybe on on you striking or um you know also what do they think now maybe um <laughs>
2: Yeah um as I was doing my research about these things I I remember speaking to my uncle Charles and asking him if he had noticed any form of climate changes since he mm-hmm. he's much older than me and he told me that he had seen um changes especially in weather patterns and this has been like happening over the past 20 years and he was really making this connection of you know the reality of climate change causing all these changes in weather patterns so i can say that uh my uncle was really helpful in making me understand and just knowing from someone who had seen it himself that the changes were actually happening and for my siblings and uh my cousins when i told them about uh, the climate strike <laughs> Yeah, they were so excited uh to do it and like it was just so exciting making you know those signs and just writing uh, different messages that we would have for the for the climate strike. I didn't tell uh, my parents about it until you know uh, my mom asked why we were making those signs and I told her that we were going to do a climate strike. Uh, she kind of asked you know more questions about it, but she didn't really say that don't go and uh, we we left so early in the morning and um, I never told my dad as well so he found out when we were back from the climate strike and he wanted to know why we had you know left home so early so um, I can say when I started activism uh my siblings and my cousins were really supportive in that very first climate strike. And uh, my uncle Charles and, you know, his knowledge about the changes in the weather patterns was also very helpful. My parents mm-hmm. didn't really understand much about climate strikes, uh, though my dad understood about, the, you know, environmental issues as he had uh, laid a tree planting um project in in uganda uh, as a president Mm. of a rotary club so he had an idea but he didn't know why we were calling these climate strikes but however they they never really stopped me from doing that and they just kept watching me go every friday and do these climate strikes
0: Mm. i think i can like i can definitely relate to speaking to kind of the older generations in your family about the impacts that that climate are having having because recently I've been having loads of conversations with my grandmother who is lives in Jamaica about climate and climate change and like how she talks about how even Jamaica as an island has changed so much in the last few years and how beaches that I went to as a kid are disappearing and how the mangroves are being destroyed and and flooding's getting more um kind of um getting more often and, and worse um I think that the older generations actually have seen these things happening a lot more and so often I think in climate we talk about the old generations as like people who've done nothing. There's a very like Western perspective to talk about it that way of like oh the old generations have done nothing when actually like I think of my grandma and maybe your grandparents as well like they've seen these things happening but not really known what to do about it especially um, countries that were previously colonized or have been harmed by the West in so many ways. Um, and I think that maybe like changing even how we talk about intergenerational stuff would actually help us a lot in climate because there shouldn't be as much of a divide I think actually if we work together with older generations we can cause so much more change
2: yeah I I really agree with that Um, I think that there is so much to learn from the older generation I believe that the older generation has something to learn from what the young people are saying right now but I also know that the young generation has a lot to learn Um, a lot of wisdom to just receive and get to know from the older generation. And I also don't see why there has to be, you know, this divide between the older generation Mm. and the younger generation. And yet we could really work together and just really strive and just work for, you know, towards the future of climate justice so I think that uh, intergenerational you know kind of conversations are really important uh, for you know a sustainable world.
0: Mm, no, No definitely and I think that like yeah we need more coming together rather than divide between all of us and that means between generations and I think something that I've been thinking about a lot recently as well is how much I think especially there's been this narrative of like, ah, oh, the old generation have like ruined everything for us. When actually like, they had a lot to worry about. Like there were a lot of mm. other injustices that have been going on like historically that um different generations have had to be fighting. And rather than like kind of having go at them for not fighting this one, we can instead bring people in and like learn from this. Even though they things.
1: probably did fight this one as well, you know, like yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, exactly. integrated. And like, I think there's like, this passiveness to like climate change from older generations is a super like yeah western framework also of like oh like look like they're just passive when actually like every like every day like farmers you know like would agree that like they they are not just passively watching their crops decline right like they are trying to make everything work with the land that that and actually, I think like from like from a European perspective, and like from the u k like we really don't know how to deal with any of this because the climate realities are so different here, and you know, like why aren't we learning from older generations and also you know different contexts where yeah, of course the the context is a bit different like we we farm different stuff and all of these things, but actually like we we don't know how to deal with the climate crisis in europe with in so mm. many different ways, you know, so I don't know, did you? Do you feel like, I mean, you've traveled now to Europe, like I think a couple of times or like, do you see there's a lot of differences in like climate activism and in the way that people even discuss the climate crisis? What's your like personal experience around these things?
2: The time that I have been able to go to some countries in Europe, uh, one of the things that I really noticed, especially uh, during this time that I was there a few weeks back, specifically in Germany, um, that I was speaking to someone who told me how when the people in Germany experienced the the floods, uh, many of them, you know, were shocked and, you know, they were saying that climate change is real and climate change is here. So uh, to mm-hmm. me, I, I really like, what really came in my mind was that climate change didn't start with, uh, you know, the floods in Germany. Uh, Climate change Mm -hmm. has been impacting the lives of very many people for quite a long time so I think there is really that you know disconnect of what is you know really happening to many people uh, in Europe they don't understand the urgency of the climate crisis they don't understand what families or what individuals or what communities go through uh, when these disasters occur so I think Uh, That is one of the the big differences that I have seen Mm. is that, the people in the global south they know what is at risk they understand that uh, when it comes to the climate crisis it's a matter of life and death it's a matter of you know losing uh... you know farms or businesses or homes or children dropping out of school or girls being forced into marriages because these are things that you know people are seeing happening now but then when it comes to the people in europe uh... when they experience a flood to them that is when climate change has started and yet you know it has been impacting the lives of people in different parts of the world
0: are you enjoying this podcast and we really hope that you are the yikes podcast um is able to happen mostly because of the financial support from our wonderful patrons on patreon
1: yeah, I mean, Michaela sounds like a super deeper advertising capitalist girl, but actually, we're two anti-capitalist babes in a capitalist world. And um, by you supporting like the show, um, it just generally sustains it. It allows us to like pay our guests that uh, now and then come on the show, and it allows us to do you know much more community work and be able to support different charities and just generally you know make this make this thing happen yeah
0: and if you don't know what patreon is because i think a lot of people might not know it is basically a platform that allows you to support creators or podcasts or different kind of groups that you really like um and you can financially support their work directly um and it kind of stops us having to rely on things like ads which are quite annoying yeah um (laughs) so on patreon on the yikes podcast patreon there are different um tiers that you can subscribe to so they start from just 3 pounds a month and then kind of go up from there. Um for the 5 pounds a month one, you get a bonus episode every single week um which is just us chatting about a different thing that's just happened in the news or something personal about our lives. Um they're much more kind of intimate those episodes um and we really enjoy making them. We do Q&As as well over on the Patreon and it's just another kind of space that we can interact with you guys. And we really love it and we're so grateful for our patrons who have made this show possible up until now and if you'd like to become someone who supports this podcast if you have the ability to do that um, then you can check out our Patreon in the show notes or just go to patreon.com slash um and you can check out the different tiers there and sign up to support this show. We thank you so much for your support so far and we hope that you're enjoying this episode. Mm. Mm. no no all of that like all of that absolutely all of that and i think i would really love to know from your perspective like what do you think that the climate movement in in europe or in the uk could be doing better and like what could we be doing to actually be speaking about these things that you're talking about there and actually really be in solidarity with um global south activists rather than just like saying we're in solidarity, because I think that happens quite a lot as if it's like this metaphorical thing rather than this real tangible thing that we should be doing.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that one of the things that would really be important to understand and, you know, to start talking about is how climate change is you know, more than statistics and how it's more than weather and how it's about the people. You know, many times people will just stop talking about, you know, a flood affecting a certain area or a cyclone affecting a certain area or a drought, but they never really got to, you know, understand what happens to individuals, what happens to families, what happens to communities uh, when these disasters happen. You know, they they uh, they fail to understand the connection of, you know, the education of so many children, uh, when these disasters continue to happen, they fail to understand how communities uh, or families are kept in poverty traps as they continue to lose their farms or as they continue to lose their sources of income or their businesses because of the climate crisis. So it's people are not really understanding the connection of climate change with what is really happening to people i feel like it's more of you know 1.5 degrees and yet even at one at 1.2 degrees people are still suffering uh, some of the you know terrible Mm -hmm. impacts of the climate crisis so even though um you know we want to limit global temperatures to 1.5 degrees it will still be you know Terrible and catastrophic for so many communities, and I think Mm -hmm. this is something that um, people in the global north really need to understand. They need to know that if a family, if a community or an area experiences a flood, it's not just going to end on a flood, it's going to, you know, destroy people's farms. What happens when that, you know, when that occurs? It means people are going to struggle to find something to eat. People are going to struggle to, you know, to look for water for their families if there are extreme dry spells. It means if families cannot afford to take their children to school anymore, children are going to drop out of school. Girls are, be, are going to be forced into early marriages so that their, their families can receive bride price. So I think, um, these are some of the connections that people are not really getting and are not really understanding because when we see these things happen it's like we realize how urgent um, the climate crisis really is we realize how any form of crisis will exacerbate already existing inequalities in societies for example uh, against women and girls you know in different kinds of communities and also, I think the other thing that um would really be important for people to understand and for people to talk about and have conversations about is you know climate justice, which has uh the people at the heart of you know all these decisions like we hear people you know talk about you know um electric vehicles um, in our communities, but sometimes electric vehicles means exploitation of children it means exploitation of moals and women in different parts of the world you know uh, when they talk about you know tree planting campaigns you know planting millions of trees, sometimes it means that a certain indigenous family or a certain indigenous community is going to lose their land uh, because of these so called uh, uh, tree planting campaigns that are being put in place by corporations and, you know, governments, uh, they will, you know, talk about, um, providing climate finance for communities, but they'll give this finance in form of loans so that um, already existing debt for these countries is just, you know, increased because of the climate finance which is coming in loans, and yet it should come uh, in form of grants as these communities didn't cause the climate crisis. So I think that people really need to just have uh, the people at the heart of, you know, climate conversations when it comes to talking about the impact of, you know, the climate crisis to go beyond talking about uh, droughts, floods, you know, cyclones or wildfires to actually start talking about what people go through when these disasters occur, like what the aftermath of those disasters is. And uh, to really, um, to really, look at the kind of, you know, solutions that are uh, being, you know, proposed for our communities, because it's important that if The solution, uh, if the climate solution is harming more communities or is exploiting more communities, then that is not, um, climate justice. And I also think the other thing that is really important for, you know, people in the global north to know is that we really don't need uh, new solutions. There's so many activists who are working, you know, in their communities, who are running these projects in their communities. So we, 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 when we ask for climate justice, we don't want, um, to be given a basket or a, 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 a gift, you know, filled with climate solutions. We already have, um, yeah, we already have those climate solutions. There are many activists who are, you know, working to ensure that their communities can access clean water, that their communities can access solar, you know, that their communities can, you know, really um, just live and just be able to access these uh, basic necessities of life so it's more of you know supporting those already existing you know solutions so that they can reach and really change and transform the lives of so many people in those areas.
0: Gosh there was there was so much in that that is so important I think for all of us Um to be like bringing into the work that we're doing and the climate work we're doing. I think especially what you are saying about like 1.5 is not like a magical solution to everything. It's just like 1.5 degrees is still going to cause a huge amount of harm to so many communities. Like what you're saying about how we'll impact flooding and disasters and things like that. And I, I think for, yeah, for me, what comes to mind is like how far underwater is Jamaica at 1.5 degrees? Like where my family are, like how, like, what, what part of the island that I like I know from like being there as a kid like will be gone and that's and that's the reality of it I think and I think so often we climate gets made into this thing that's just about like existential threat or like it's going to all happen one day or it's made into this thing that's just like oh it's just emissions and science and actually it's like has real human impacts and I think that you illustrated all of that so so brilliantly and so well and I think as we just mentioned 1.5, you're going to COP soon. So the Conference of Parties in Glasgow, the big UN climate summit. We did an episode last, the last episode of Yikes will be, will have been with Fahani Amin, all about COP. So if people are interested in what COP is, listen to that episode. But I would like to hear what you, I don't want to, I hate to ask you this question because I'm sure you've been asked this so many times recently. But, like, what are you wanting to come out of COP? I've seen that you've spoken a lot about loss and damage. <laughs> like, I can see you high. laughing. <laughs> but you know, I know I roll by the amount of times that we've all been asked. Oh what yeah. is, what you? I didn't want to ask you, what. what is your hope for COP? Because the amount <laughs> yeah. of times that people have asked that. And then sometimes I want to be like, none. But that's not the reality. But just, to, just more to spice it up. Because I think that so often this question is asked. But you talked a lot about loss and damage. It'd be great if you could, like, elaborate on what that means. And... Are you hoping that there will be, like, an agreement to some sort of, like, loss and damage fund? Do you think that's possible? Um, Yeah, what would be... What are you kind of thinking with COP coming up?
2: You know, with uh, COP really coming up, I... I look at you know some of the words or some of the promises that have been uh, said by leaders or uh, governments or corporations and I have seen that up to you know this point it has been more of words and you know less of actions so when it comes to really hoping this is me choosing to hope because um, you know when you when you see like the challenges that the people in your community are experiencing because of you know climate disasters that a time comes and you just have to hope uh for another world or for a better world in general and what i really you know hope to see is that um leaders stop like investment in fossil fuel projects especially new fossil fuel projects and it means uh, not just stopping them in the global north but also you know um in african countries and you know for leaders to just be honest and real about, you know, what they say or the targets that they set. And because it's one thing for, you know, a leader or a government to say they are going to go net zero by maybe 2030, but then continue to, you know, construct or pipelines or open up new oil fields or start new coal uh, power plants or, um. For leaders to talk about halving their emissions uh, by a specific debt in the future, but then it means more decades of environmental destruction, so I think that um what we've really had from the leaders has been you know promises and promises and promises of um uh, net zeros and you know specific targets and uh you know promises of climate action, but it all ends up just being uh just empty words and empty promises and you know empty things that are really nice to hear but then you know that um in the end you're really not going to see like action from that so i hope to see that the words of the leaders and their promises really match you know their actions and i also hope to see uh climate finance being provided for communities that are on the front lines of the climate crisis uh, especially for loss and damage for leaders to acknowledge that loss and damage is here with us now and that there are communities that are experiencing it right now and that there are communities that are losing Things that they cannot get back uh, because of the climate disasters, you know, things like traditions, cultures, histories, and all that. And for that finance, you know, I've already talked about the loans thing, for that finance to, you know, to come as grants and not loans to add on already existing debts um for very many communities i read an article yesterday that was talking about how climate finance um will be delayed uh by 2023 and you know it's it's just Unfair and it's just unfair treatment for communities, you know, that are on the front lines of the climate crisis. And I also heard how more than seventy percent of this climate finance will be in form of loans, and this will only make, uh, you know, push countries into um, poverty or and make richer countries already rich. So I really. hope to see that leaders match their words and that they really provide the climate finance that is needed for communities that are experiencing loss and damage right now.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's super important what you were saying there, because actually, like, that's also like the basic they can really do, like, you know, at least provide the finances that you that that you owe these countries anyways um, to to have measures in, you know, preventing and adapting to what's already happening and what's already causing so much damage and loss. Um, so, yeah, like, hearing your perspective on that is, like, super, super interesting. And then kind of maybe more on the, like, activist front on, on COP. Like, you, in your book, and you've also generally, I think, spoken about, like, how yeah, like a lot of the barriers that you have faced or maybe still face in Uganda around striking and how the situation around, you know, climate striking is very different to maybe the realities in in Europe. So how do you, what do you expect of like the, maybe more like the... um the meeting of everyone in COP, like the people who will attend and like kind of like maybe like the outer landscape of, um, you know, outside of the negotiations. I don't know. Do you have any expectations or, um, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about all of that?
2: I think that it's always exciting to meet other activists to meet. Well, to me personally, sometimes it's always a place of, you know, learning from other activists and also the work that they're doing in their communities. And I think one of the things that I really expect is um, for some activists to understand why, you know, everyone or, you know, every... Why not every country will organize big strikes because of our specific reasons? You know there are times I have been asked why I call my strikes climate strikes, and yet I don't skip school <laughs> and it's just really <laughs> it's just really funny because it's like they um they put a specific formula or a specific way um, of you know doing activism and there are always reasons um, why very many activists will not strike in the same way or go through the streets and some of those reasons could be the hardships or um, the difficulty in getting the permits to go to the streets. Some could be um, the access to resources uh, to organize such big strikes. Some could be, you know, I can speak from my country and how, you know, education is something that, you know, is really valued by very many families, by very many communities. And, you know, to be able to go to school is, you know, to many too many not many children will be able to go to school, and those who will go it's not that all of them will be able to finish school, so there is this you know specific kind of you know um value for education I should say and we always grow up with this thing that education is the key to success and people just have uh, especially the students in school they just have you know this um, this in, in their mind that their parents are really working so hard to ensure that they stay in school and that they finish school. So it's hard for the students to walk out of school. And then uh, the other thing, you cannot just walk out of a school that, um, that has like, there is security at the gate. And if you try to do it by force, you know, you could be suspended or you could even be expelled and possibly without your parents getting a refund of all uh, the money that they had already you know paid and then many students are also in boarding school so uh the times when you get to walk out of boarding school you only do that maybe when you're going for a school trip or when you're going back home for holidays so still students cannot walk out of school to strike so i think that um When activists really, you know, meet at the COP, I think it would be great uh, for some activists, especially in the global north, to understand that we will do activism, you know, in different ways, and it will still stay activism. If we are not able to organize big strikes, that doesn't, you know, lessen what we are doing. It's still powerful in its own way, and I think that would be something that would be great for people to understand
0: and accept yeah yeah no no absolutely and I think that a lot of the things that you've been talking about in even in this conversation and that you talk about in your book are things that have like been deliberately cut out of the main like mainstream environmental activism movement and it just feels oh, firstly obviously it feels unfair and then secondly it also feels kind of like deliberate in many ways of like this deliberate silencing of an in as as you kind of um talk about it in in your book and you talk about it a lot like it feels like it's like a silencing of an entire continent when they ignore all of these um these issues um kind of like zooming back zooming back that's the wrong rewinding that's <laughs> <Yeah>. the word <laughs>
2: You're still stuck in zooms and lockdown. Zooming
0: back. Oh my gosh. Um, sorry, Zooming out, guys. Zooming out. That's it. And I started remembering that there was a TikTok about this baby called Zuma. This is how my brain works. Anyway, <laughs> a rewinding. A rewinding is what we're doing. Back to um, kind of what you, also what you start the book talking about is the fact that you were cut out of this picture. And I'm sorry, you've probably like spoken about this so many times. Um, but even if it's like, I I think I want to understand like how how do you feel about that situation now like having written a book about it having like have that draw more attention to you and to your work and having now spoken about it I'm sure on so many different media interviews um how do you feel about that situation like do you want to still be talking about it do you want to leave it in the past like how do you yeah how do you feel that that has impacted your work even today
2: yeah, um when that incident happened, I can say it was really a very frustrating and heartbreaking moment, but um a lot of healing, I would say, really happened in, you know, the months that followed and this was, you know, possible because of all the support that, you know, people gave I would say uh, the time when I asked why I had been cropped out, there could have been a possibility of you know saying that, and no one comes and you know supports you in what in the question you're asking. But I think the support that people really gave was something that motivated me um, to really keep doing activism and to just you know become to be stronger even uh, in what had happened so right now i I would say it's not something that I really like to talk about, especially if I'm in front of uh people, because it' kind of makes me relieve the experience it's it's kind it's more like reopening a wound, <laughs> but maybe yeah, but maybe um in the years to come it won't be something that you know that would be so hurtful even when i think about it so it's not something that i enjoy to talk about because it kind of uh makes me feel quite very emotional and sometimes i don't like that yeah well i mean that's
0: that's like totally understandable because i i remember like what just seeing it happen from afar, at the time like i did i didn't I didn't know you, but I felt hurt on your behalf as well. And I think so many other people did. I think especially, I can imagine that especially like black climate activists felt like that because of how often like that work gets erased and completely removed and also in such a deliberate way. Um so I'm I think what I was really glad to find out when you when I found out that you're writing a book, I was just so glad that you were taking your own story into your own hands and that you were gonna tell the world what was being cropped out and that you were gonna like take that for yourself because I think that's so important and I think that your book is a book that we have needed for a really long time. And I'm really glad that you've taken the time out to like to gift that to all of us because you shouldn't have had to have you shouldn't have to be the one like who's do, who's having to write a whole book to explain things that should be so basic to, to so many people um but we are so grateful that you've taken the time out to do that and for all of the work that you do because it's so important and all the work that like all the other climate activists are doing all over the world to build this because all of us are just standing on the shoulders of each other and and are in community with each other and I think that it's just really beautiful that we can do that and i think that that's what i love about the climate movement as well is how connected we are to the rest of the world um and thank you for how much of a role your work plays within that
1: yeah and how also you continue to you know call us climate activists in like from from for example like us as like me as a european uh based climate activist you know like we um like what you were talking about like in this episode like you know and like the lessons that we have to learn from you like i yeah I think our movement is so enriched by your perspective and by so many other people's perspectives that um I don't know it just it really gives me hope for better futures if we do you know learn from each other and um and I think yeah, I don't know it's been it's just like a really pleasure to talk to you and hear your you know your insights from from such a different context and still how yeah. How much i don't know in in some way like it's related you know it's relatable because we're fighting sim like the climate crisis yeah. and um yeah it's really beautiful to learn from that.
2: thank you so much
1: one last question before we wrap up um what are some campaigns that um you either personally or in your community or just generally that you know of like in uganda happening yeah or globally that you would like to draw attention to and that we can support and that our listeners should be like looking up learning from engaging with like anything you want to share um and like do a little call of action
2: yeah, uh, I think some of the campaigns that I have seen and I've also worked with and I think are so important right now. I'll talk about the campaign to save uh, the Congo rainforest, which is the second largest rainforest in the world. I think um, that is something to support and it's uh, very important. And also there is an ongoing campaign um, in Uganda and I think in Tanzania as well but but it's also joined by other activists and it's called Stop Ecop, and it is to stop the construction of the East Africa crude oil pipeline in East Africa, mm-hmm. uh, which is mm-hmm. being done by Total. So that is I think something that would really be great uh, to be amplified and uh, another campaign that i have been a part of um is the stop combo campaign and uh i think that is also another really important campaign to really amplify and um uh, to continue demanding that you know the uk government does not you know allow the ongoing of the you know the cambo project yeah
0: oh i just want to i want to thank you for your um support of the stop cambo campaign because it's like meant so much to all of us involved with it and like i remember the first time that you shared something about stop cambo all of us in the group chat were like
1: vanessa shared (laughs) something like we
0: were like oh my gosh because also we were so excited to see like Mm. global solidarity being formed around this i think that that's what's so important and Actually, before you started recording, Jay was even talking about how she'd seen you protesting at a coal mine where she grew up. Is that right, Jay?
1: Yeah, in Germany. Oh, um, yeah. I saw you visiting. Yeah. And I grew up super, super close to that. And it's just, yeah, you know, when you grow up with something and then, like, you know, it's there and you know, it's like, I don't know, I've been reflecting on it recently quite a lot about this project and how it's shaped my climate activist journey, like having that so close to home, but then seeing people from literally like the other part of the world like visited and, you know, like I don't know, like seeing your picture there I was just like, wow, you know, like these things are I don't know, it just like really hit home for me of like what the hell are we doing? You know, like but yeah, so I don't know, for me it was like see, yeah, seeing you and like seeing I think this like international, like this like mass mobilization across the globe, like supporting each other's work felt really powerful me like to me you know like I am um... and I think I'm so glad that you brought up
0: um both of those campaigns because mm. it's important always that we are in solidarity with all of our campaigns all around the world and we connect them because all of them are so inherently connected even in in like oil and gas that's happening in the UK is so connected to how oil and gas happens on the African continent and how it happens on the South American continent and like all of these things are connected and we're so much stronger when we work together and fight together. So everyone who's listening, make sure that you go and support all of the campaigns that Vanessa has mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, because we are so much stronger when we fight together and when we make these connections. Um, and also make sure you buy Vanessa's fantastic book, (laughs) book. um, a bigger picture. It is out already by the time this episode goes out. Um, so make sure you get your hands on it. Make sure you get one for your mate, for your mum, for your dad, (laughs) for your neighbor down the road. Um, like maybe do like a reading i've just had this idea that it's not that profound an idea but do like a reading group in your climate activist group maybe with the book and mm-hmm. you guys can reflect on how you could be including what Vanessa's is saying more into your climate work um there are so many different ways that we can learn here and make sure that you're engaging with her work thank you
1: so much for being here vanessa thank you so much it was such a pleasure and we just yeah we're really grateful to all of your work and for taking the time to come on the pod and we can't wait to see and like follow your journey and hopefully yeah you know stay in touch and everything yeah
2: thank you too so much i appreciate it
0: Oh, I enjoyed that episode with Vanessa so much. She's just also just really joyful. Yeah. Like, I feel like we were laughing a lot in that as well, which was really nice, and especially given she must be tired. She must be. All of time. the book touring. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And all the climate stuff and everything with COP coming up. I mean, also, I feel tired and I haven't even been doing that much.
1: And being like so far away from home and like for so long mm. as well. Like, mm. everything's like, I don't know. I'm just like, I hope you're okay and you're taking breaks. Um but yeah i yeah i hope cop goes well and i hope it goes like it's a super joyful experience beyond like the happiness that it is that it's also a period of You know, reestablishing hope and uh, connections Mm -hmm. for all of us, what she was talking about. And yeah, we hope that you will go and read her book. Um, and Mm -hmm. that you follow her work and please, 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 uh, get involved and in the, in the campaigns that she was mentioning. Um, super important we check those out and that we. That we highlight them, especially considering that we have actually such a big media platforms here in Europe, for example. And it's so easy for us to draw um, attention to causes like this. Like we are actually super like privileged in that way of like how the media responds Mm. a lot of times when we do do these call outs. So, yeah, please do that. um, Whatever outlet you have. Mm. And follow Vanessa
0: on social media. She's Vanessa Nakate one on Instagram. And you can find her on other social media as well. Make sure that you're supporting her work. Make sure that you're supporting climate activists who are not just based in the quote-unquote global north Mm -hmm. and that we are connecting our struggles, working on them, doing the call-outs that she asked for, doing all those things and being helpful. That was not the word I wanted to use. (laughs) That was a pant ending to that sentence. No, we need to be active. But anyway, yeah. Vanessa's a great person to um challenge us to do that. Hope that you enjoyed this episode. Um this episode was presented by myself and the lovely Joe Becker. I'm Michaela
1: Loach. You can find me Michaela Loach on social media. Awesome. Brain are, I can- <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, if you're listening to this, we had cop and already the run-up has been a bit
0: Stressful. Oh my gosh. Like like two brain cells
1: left, they're just vibing. Yeah. They're having a little party in the back. <laughs> Literally just vibing. <laughs> anyways, anyways, we've been Michaela and Joe. You can find us on social media at Michaela Lodge and at Trace and Peace. And yeah, we'll be back in. You can follow the Yikes Podcast. Follow the Yikes On podcast. social
0: media at the Yikes Podcast on Instagram and at the Yikes Pod yes. on Twitter. And make sure that you give us a five star rating wherever you're listening to this, because it helps the podcast reach more people, especially on Apple Podcasts. Um, thanks to oh my gosh, I just, I think we've never actually said this on, on a podcast that we won a Creative Impact Award, so we're an yes. award-winning podcast now, um, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um. So make so we're an award-winning five-star podcast currently. Um. But you need in order for that to be upheld, you need to give us the five-star ratings, so the trolls don't win. Um. <laughs> so thank you yeah. so much for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode.